All right, a couple things I want to talk with you about today, and it's something that has been on my heart a lot. I feel like we need to be prepared for a world that is becoming less and less comfortable for Christians. Have you noticed that? Now, we're heading into Christmas, and just one thing that I want to warn you about is you will probably be seeing stories in the news, and they'll, they'll be doubting whether Christians or Christmas is real or Jesus came when he did, and... And on Wednesdays for the next couple of weeks, I will be doing some Bible studies on Christmas themes here at the church. So if you want to come and, and enjoy a Bible study, I try, to do, I try to dig into some part of the Christmas story that's different that we don't normally see on, on Christmas Sunday. But, but you will, if you're interested in that, it'd be great. But I just want you to understand that we live in a world that claims to be nice, but I titled the sermon, When Nice Isn't Nice. Because the fact is, what is called nice today isn't always nice. It just isn't. You guys know what a humble brag is? Have you ever heard what a humble brag is? So when somebody, it sounds like they're being humble, but in the process, in the middle of the humility, that's, they're really bragging on something. Have you noticed that? Have you ever heard that before? I actually copied down a couple that I got offline, and these are, these are celebrities you would know. I'm not quoting their names today, but you would know who these people are if I did. Here's one. They put this on, uh, on Instagram. It said this. It always feels a little odd to me when I get recognized randomly in public. I never know what to say. I'm glad it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> like you're so famous that you have to just, yeah. can't believe everybody's recognized me here today. Okay. Uh, here's one. This one is the funniest one of all. When I read it, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. They posted this on Twitter. It says, I just stepped on gum. Who spits gum on the red carpet? So they just want you to know they're on the red carpet. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I see you're, you're famous. Uh, here's another one. This one really, what got to me about this is because you see so many people bragging about their selflessness or bragging about how humble they are or bragging about their good deeds. And we know as Christians, we're supposed to be doing our good deeds in, in private. And, and God who rewards us will reward us later. So here's what it said. I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine. And I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. I thought, oh my goodness, you'll break your arm patting yourself on the back here, you know, it just cracked me up. But there's time when, when even nice, the word itself gets redefined. It seems like the common usage of words that we, we thought we all agreed on, knew what they meant, have been changed. And people don't always mean what they say, and, and it, it gets kind of weird sometimes, like, like even love, the word love. I think it's interesting, and we're going to be... It'll be in the summer, but we're going to host a... Do you guys remember the Truth Project? Remember that came out quite a few years ago? Well, there's been a follow-up. Del Tackett has come out with a whole follow-up to that. And he, he deals with this a lot about how the word love has been co-opted by the world and redefined. Yeah. Now, we could talk... We could do a whole sermon series on love and the way love is used in the Bible and different words for love. But, but the, most of us define love as selflessness, agape, where you do what's best for the other person. The world has changed that a lot. It doesn't really mean that anymore. And so my question is, what if, what if love is, is not actually love? And what if how it's defined isn't actually what you thought? What if the most loving thing is actually to deprive somebody of what they want? I know that may sound weird. I know as a kid, I didn't understand that. I felt like, and I never would have said this. It never probably even crossed my mind. I wasn't that philosophical, but... You know, there's times where somebody says, well, if you love me, you will do this. Well, then what you've done is turn love into a transaction, and it means you have to do this for me 
if, I, if, if I'm defining it as love. And then what it does in a lot of ways is it, it kind of strong arms you into behaving in such a way that the person is defined as what love is. And I know the easiest examples to think about are probably our children. You love them, but you know giving them candy for every meal and any time they want is not the best thing. You know that. You know when your dog looks at you and you're eating something that's really good, right? You know how that is. We just had Thanksgiving. And as you're eating something and you think, you look at that poor dog and our dog, I, she's a golden doodle. Her eyes, a lot of times her expressions look human. It's, it's really kind of creepy. I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm looking at her like, stop looking at me like that. Just stop. And I know what will happen. If I were to give her this, like a piece of meat, you know what she would do, right? She would literally inhale it. I mean, there, it would never even, she would probably not even taste it. Like, you wouldn't even enjoy this. But even if I did give you all this food that's on our table, it wouldn't be the best thing for her. It would make her sick. I mean, it's not the healthy thing. We know that. We know that in certain cases, doing what someone wants or what they might define as love isn't really love. It's not the most loving thing to do. Think about this. What if you gave any child unfettered access to all media? Oh my goodness. You put restrictions on that because you love them. You don't let them run out wherever they want. You know that there are restrictions, places that they need to be defined and regulated because it's not loving You know that. You know there's a reason that there's guardrails on the freeway. They're protecting us. You couldn't give somebody, a child especially, but anybody really just unlimited money. I mean, what would you do with it? Would would it always be healthy? No. It wouldn't be the most loving thing. It's not loving. So what's interesting is there's a saying out there. It's been around for a long time, you know, that we, we love the sinner and hate the sin. I saw something on social media that they went, it said, no, hate is still hate. And what they meant by that was, you've got to love the sinner and the sin. And I look at that and I think, no, 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 no. Because sin is actually an evil thing in somebody's life. And the reason God calls it sin is because it will damage and hurt them. It will cause pain that they can't even tell right now. It's like, a, it's like a disease or a cancer that eats you up from the inside and you think it's good, but it's not. Somebody said online too, it's not even in the Bible, but they, what they've done is they've, they don't understand that there's certain sayings. What we've done is distilled a, a, a principle in scripture. So in Jude 1, 23, it actually says this. To show mercy with caution, hating even the sins that contaminate their lives. We love them. We have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think about that verse and it, it reminds me that sometimes the most loving thing to do is say no. No. It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. It's hard to do with your dog. So how much harder it is to do with people, people who you care about and you love them too much to let it go. There's, it's funny, our world today, we've, we've redefined everything. You know what a euphemism is, right? A euphemism? I mean, a euphemism is a way to say something that's less harsh, right? It's, it's not as mean. It's not as, the, it's the same word or same meaning kind of, but we've changed it to make it softer so it doesn't hurt as much, Right? So I might be vertically challenged, which would be short, 
Or I might be gravitationally challenged, which is, you're afraid to say it, huh? No, you didn't, you didn't even hesitate. Way to go. Yeah, I might be a little heavy today. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, so we do that. We redefine these terms and we're trying to be nice. I get it. I totally get it. I do. And it's something that, um, I'm going to talk about this next week a little bit more, but some of you may not know, I, I, was, I was in a motorcycle accident years ago and lost my foot. So I, I don't have a left foot. And so technically I'm, I'm crippled, right? But I've noticed over the years that word, we don't use that word, right? Because that sounds mean, sounds derisive and, and um, demi- I mean, it just sounds mean. We don't want to use that term. I get it. What's interesting about that term, I was, I don't know, I, I'm weird this way about a lot of things, but words fascinate me. And I thought, well, where did that word even come from? How did it even happen? That word has actually been around and in use in, in English in the Oxford Dictionary since about the year 950. Over a thousand years, that word has been used. And the word actually has a, has a meaning. It came from Germanic languages, which meant to creep. So you went from creep to cripple. Makes sense, right? If you don't have a leg or a foot or if you're injured in some way, you kind of creep along. Makes sense. The word lame is actually older than that. And that word appears often in our Bible. And that word has been around since the 700s. We don't use that word anymore. We started to use a word, handicap. Are you familiar with that word? I always thought it meant have something to do with capable, like you're handy, capable, or I didn't know what it meant, to be honest with you. But looking it up, I was fascinated because they think there's two origins people say today. They think one, it may have come from horse racing, that whoever was holding the money held it in a cap. I don't know if that's true. And then the other one says that it was children begging on the street would use their caps to beg. And I don't know if either of those are true. The bottom line is we tend not to use those words because they're disparaging and they focus on what the person can't do rather than what they can do. I get that. I understand that. But here's what I worry about sometimes. In our world today, we we focus so much on those things that we don't focus on what's real and we avoid saying things that ultimately need to, they matter. So I want to just spend a few minutes today talking about how And this comes from Natasha Crane's book talking about how our world today has really pushed in on what Christianity and faith is. And they've taken certain words and certain ideas and they've changed the meanings. And we have to be so careful as Christians, not only when we talk to people, but then we need to be able to present what real Christianity does stand for. Because it's good. It's a good thing. It's a good, healthy, wholesome, wonderful thing. So here's how it looks. One of the things they're saying today is that feelings are the ultimate guide. And the next thing they say is that happiness is the ultimate goal. And judging is the ultimate sin and God is the ultimate guess. And in saying those things, they sound nice, right? Because who doesn't have feelings? We all have feelings. And I want to go by my feelings because my feelings are right, right? And what I feel at any moment should be the way I govern my life and you need to respect that, right? I mean, how many woke up excited about getting out of bed today? Really? That's it? No one? I didn't see. I saw one hand. Way to go. You and me, Josiah. (laughs) Well, I'm glad the rest of you didn't go by your feelings today. 
No, seriously. Because it was, it was, it was kind of rainy and dreary and dark out there. And I thought about that when I walked outside. It was completely dark and raining. And I thought, oh, I didn't even, my coat was in the truck already. And I thought, I'm just going to run out there in the rain. And I thought, whew, it's cold. You can't live by feelings, can you? Really? You know, I remember going to the doctor one time and I was talking about some ache and pain. And he, he looked at me and he's like, uh, you, you realize at your age, you're going to hurt, right? <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, you're, you're basically paying for everything. You guys should take note of this. You're paying for everything you did in your 20s and 30s now. And uh, <laughs> he thought it was funny. I was like, oh, okay. I, don't, I can't live by feelings. You can't either. I mean, we know that's true. But if feelings are the ultimate guide and we're going to follow our heart, whose heart decides? I mean, we've, we've talked about this a lot. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but... The problem with that is this, if it's just about my feelings, then, then duty and honor and right and wrong, all of that goes out the window because my feelings don't check that first. My feelings just come from wherever I'm at and whatever I ate and whatever I did and, and however things have gone in the day. But goodness gracious, if that's the case, then we'd all be kind of ducking and bobbing and weaving because you wouldn't know what to think about anything ever because everything would change based on somebody else's feelings. And life can't go like that. That's a scary way to live. <laughs> Think about this. This, this is so uh, honest, but it's true. I can always find a reason, or excuse. I can always find a reason to explain why it was okay for me to do what I did, when I did it, and to who. If I really wanted to. I can let my feelings decide at every moment and the world would be a scary place. Here's what's sad about that. It it used to be, you know, if you follow philosophy, there there was modernism where it said that Everything would be figured out. Kind of think Sherlock Holmes. Everything, can, everything has a reason. We can figure out everything. Science will solve everything. Then postmodernism came around and said, nope, nope, there's no absolute truth. There's no way to know truth. But we live in a really post, postmodern world where feelings determine truth. It's not as if there is or isn't truth. It's just my feelings. I heard somebody say it's kind of feels over reels. Made me laugh. <laughs> feels over reels. It's kind of that world where I judge, I judge your actions, but then I judge my motives. Because I know why I did what I did, and then you should just accept whatever it was based on my motives. I mean, I meant it, or I didn't mean it, or I didn't mean it that way, or I meant it to work different. And, but that doesn't change what's real. It just doesn't. My intentions, a lot of times in my mind, think people think that that trumps any consequences that my actions might produce. But in the end, my intentions don't work that way. You know what it makes it reminds me of? You ever been with little kids and they'll they'll you'll be playing hide and seek kind of, and then they'll cover their eyes and they'll say, "You can't see me." I'm like, uh, yes, I can. You got your hands over your eyes. But that's how we act. We act as if I say that that it changes reality, and in reality, it doesn't change anything. You can't see them, or you see their little feet hanging out below the curtains or whatever. You know where they are. They can't, you can't hide from what's real. I thought about this the other day. I saw this bumper sticker, and it was the funniest one I've seen in a long time. It, they'd put it on a place where the bumper was pushed all in. They'd had an accident, and the bumper sticker said, I didn't mean to. And I saw that, and I just, it took me a second, because I'm looking at it like, didn't mean to what? Oh, you, 
you dented the fender, but you didn't mean to, but it's still dented. So that bumper sticker changes everything. No. And I thought that was the most funny, honest, philosophical bumper sticker I've ever seen in my life. I actually had a thought, man, if I ever have a bump, <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard. And I drove away thinking, how funny, and how many people drive by and don't get it? What they're saying is, I didn't mean to, but there's still a dent. It's still there. My intentions don't change the consequences. I don't know about this, but I'll be talking to my kids. Um, our youngest was the only one to do this, and she wrote on the walls one day, and the other two are just looking like, <gasps> she wrote on the walls. And then I thought, I wonder why they never even thought about doing that, but she did. And then we asked her why. You know what she said? I didn't mean to. <laughs> like, you, you had a crayon in your hand, and you wrote on the wall. But, but her not meaning to didn't change the fact that there was crayon on the wall. I mean, none of that changes. My intentions don't change anything. My feelings actually do produce actual actions that cause consequences. It's, it's so bizarre, though, sometimes. Because in the middle of that, feelings matter still. I, don't want, I do not want you to hear that I'm saying feelings don't matter. They do matter. They matter. And things people say hurt people. I get it. And being called something or thought less than or focusing on an inability rather than an ability, that hurts. I get that. That's real. And reality, both of those things matter. And in the middle of that, we have a lot of hurt, hurt people. What I've noticed in life is we have people who are hurt because of actions and feelings. Something going into Thanksgiving I was thinking about is it's hard to be grateful when you're hurt, when your feelings are hurt. And the more I was kind of focusing on that and and reading and thinking about it, it came to mind that forgiveness is a huge part of this equation. If all I do is live by my feelings, I don't forgive. You ever thought about that? I never thought about that. Maybe, I don't know, don't judge me harshly, but I, I never had that thought till this week. Have you thought that before? You can't forgive if you're living by feelings. Because my feelings govern everything, and if my feelings are hurt, and I'm hurt about something, I have to intentionally forgive to heal my feelings. But what a, in our world today, they don't see it that way. Instead, they hang on to the feelings, and forgiveness is not part of our world. It's a very, very unforgiving world we're in today. That is not Christianity. What Jesus did is he came to forgive, but he also called us to forgive. In Matthew, he says it this way. I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That is huge. And in our culture today, completely countercultural. You cannot live by feelings and do this. You cannot. What it means is you have to let God help look inside your heart and mind and say, God, am I holding on to something is there a reason why I'm feeling what I'm feeling? And then you, you submit your feelings to a God who is holy and he can forgive and he can help you forgive? Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can, can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. 
Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Comes down to that. Do I live by my feelings or do I submit it to him? Feelings are a powerful thing in our world today. A lot of people live completely by feelings. It's just what they do. But let me just say this. Feelings can lead you down a very, very dark path. The next point is happiness is the ultimate goal. I want to be happy. Don't you? For me to be truly happy, that means that my feelings have to be the most important thing for every one of you. So keep that in mind, okay, the rest of the day. Could you do that for me? Could you live your whole life to make sure I'm happy? <laughs> it sounds so goofy saying it out loud. I wrote it down, but then it makes me laugh just even thinking about it. I mean, really, isn't that what the whole world is asking you to do? For you to make me happy? I mean, what would it take to make me happy? There'd be dark coffee involved, I'm just saying. I don't eat a lot of co- chocolate, but if, if I did, it would be dark. Right? Can you really demand that the whole world just makes you happy? And what is the point anyway? I mean, if it's all about my happiness, it becomes so self-centered and selfish. And, and here's the twist about it that, that the world cannot see. <laughs> the fact is, the more you serve others, the more happy you will be. I know that sounds crazy. It's so upside down and backward. But the more, like, like just put it in a marriage, the more you do for your wife, the more happy you will be. And vice versa. And then what happens is, the more I do for you, the more you do for somebody else, and the more they do for them, and then me, and then we actually all get our needs met by actually doing more for each other. And then the whole world is happier. So when Jesus, on the last the last time with his disciples, when he knelt down and washed their feet, had nothing to do with happiness. But I guarantee you that that servant model of servant leadership illustrated for us what makes happiness everything. For the world, what happens is they fight to be happy, which gets on top of this person's happiness and this and this and this, and nobody's happy. It all becomes about survival and my way and demanding this. And you know what? I, you know what I struggle with too is it's such a first world idea anyway, isn't it? That it's all about being carefree and me happy. I'll tell you, every time I've taken students over the years to a third world country, you know what ends up happening? They all just get blown away. And they'll, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard this exact statement out of a, out of a young person, high school student. They'll say, Pastor Dennis, I don't understand how these people are so happy because they don't have anything. <laughs> Look at them like, maybe that's not the source of happiness. Maybe you believe the lie that our culture tells you that the source of happiness is all these things when it's not things that satisfy. Things are not the thing that satisfy. It's a relationship with God Almighty who created you for relationship that makes and means happiness. You know what I mean by first world problems, right? You know what that's like. When there's no Wi-Fi, you know how annoying that is, right? Or you don't have any ice. You know the rest of the world doesn't use ice even. You're running out of hot water. They don't even have hot water. How can they be happy? The charger's all the way across the room. (laughs) 
<laughs> or you have a bad phone signal. Or how about this one? How many of you said this? I have nothing to eat. How many of you said this? All these students are laughing. How many of you said this? I have nothing to wear. Or your online delivery is late. Or you can't fast forward live TV. I know, somebody groaned. Somebody groaned out loud. Oh, I hate that. The next point they make is that judging is the ultimate sin. I want you to understand how this works. Because nobody likes to be criticized. I mean, right? Nobody likes that. But you, if you hurt my feelings and you tell me what I want is not fair or right, then you're judging me and you can't do that because my feelings are most important and because my happiness is more important than anything. So you judging me violates those two so you can't judge me. I don't like criticism, even constructive criticism. Does anybody like that? But you know how healthy and good it is, right? I mean, you can't really get better unless somebody says, hey, if you did it like this or if you changed this or you, right? Do you guys remember learning to drive? Who taught you to drive, mom or dad? How many, how many mom taught you? Not very, okay, how many dad? How many a friend? How many you just learned on your own? You just, <laughs> one, just all the old timers because we just got in a car and tried it. My dad, you know what he would do? We had a, we had a um, stick shift uh, little car and he would have me, his teaching me to drive stick was to pull it into the, into the garage, but it was up a hill. So I can't tell you how many screech marks and black marks I left on that driveway. But, but I needed to learn, right? It's healthy, but nobody likes it. And you may have heard this. Some people will throw this in your face and they'll say, well, Jesus said not to judge. You know what I would say? Don't read a Bible verse. Why would I say that? Because if you read just one verse, you are going to get that. It's probably the most widely quoted verse today, but it's also glaringly out of context. But here's what Jesus said. If you're just going to do the one verse, Matthew 7, 1, it does say, do not judge and you, will, you too will be judged or you too will be judged. So a lot of people use that verse to just silence critics or get out of criticism or to preclude any negative assessment at all. Here's what they don't know. Five verses later, Jesus said this. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now that's brutal, right? How are you going to know what dogs are and pigs are if you don't? How do you even know what that means unless you judge? And not before anybody jumps to any negative conclusions, what Jesus is saying is not everybody's ready to accept everything you know. Have you ever given advice to somebody who didn't ask for it? How'd that go? Right? I mean, you... A lot of times people aren't wanting to hear, so what Jesus is saying is, don't, don't tell them if they're not wanting to hear it. And the fact is, there are things you know, they don't need to know everything you know yet. And then just a few verses later, he says this in Matthew 7, 15 and 16, watch out for false prophets, and then skipping a little bit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. How are you supposed to know what a false prophet is if you do not judge what they say? The fact is, the judgment he was talking about is hypocritical judgment. That's the whole story with log in your eye and the other person has a speck. And he's, he basically says, take the log out, then you can judge. What he's saying is, do not judge uh, hypocritically. He's not saying not to judge. The fact is, 
that for us to know life at all, we have to make judgments about everything. Really, what's sad is there's a certain arrogance to say, you can't judge me. You know what? I need your judgment. I don't want it. Don't get any ideas. I'm not asking for that. But I need it. Don't you need it? Don't you need a little correction, a little course correction here and there? Aren't there times where we should be humble enough to take instruction from somebody else? For somebody to, to actually say, hey, are you sure your heart's right in this? Are you sure your attitude is, is something okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Who likes that again? <sighs> okay. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. We all stand. There's a saying that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all stand there in need of guidance. And in the end, we need judgment. The last thing they say about God being the ultimate guess is this. That you can't really know him or he's not knowable. Here's the thing about that that really, really makes me sad. If I say he can't be known, then I don't try to know him. That's what we do. I saw this illustrated one time. They, somebody, they did this whole big drama and basically this would be God. And they said, where are you vis-a-vis God right now? Are you actively moving toward him? Are you running away? Are you just standing there with your back to him? Are you curious and looking his way? The fact is, the world today, what they say is, he can't be known. And it's a type of agnosticism, meaning against knowing, that he can't be known. And what happens is they, they stand sure in being unsure. Do you see the contradiction in that? But it's, a not, but it's an easy place to live. Because if you stay there, then you're not confronted by any of the things he says. And he can't judge you. He can't define happiness for you. And he can't trump your feelings. Because then you become God. It's really what you do is you say, mm, I'm here now. And I decide everything. That's scary. Oh, it's scary. It's scary because uh, people in the world all around you are living like that. And what's scary, it's scary for at least two reasons. One is, their life's all in disarray. But it's also scary because their eternal destiny is also in array. And I would say to them, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? I want to pull all this together for you like this. I want you to just shut your eyes for a second. And if I could have Dalton join me up here. Think about this for a second with me. What if, what if there's a God of the universe who created you for relationship? And that relationship is the most important thing that could ever have ever happened. And he wanted relationship with you so desperately that he was willing to send his son to make a way for you to have a relationship. What if, what if there's a God in heaven who knows everything that's ever happened to you? Good, bad, up, down. He knows what you're feeling even now. He knows if you've been hurt. He knows if you're sad today. He knows if you're happy today. He knows all of your feelings. He understands and he loves and cares. What if there's a God that cares about your judgments? He cares about each one of those things. 
What if there's a God that wants relationship with you and he gives you the choice to either open yourself to him or close yourself to him? Now this is for people who've, who've never had a relationship with him, but also those of us who have a relationship. It's quite possible that as I've been talking today that certain things the Holy Spirit has made real to you. Maybe, maybe something I said about feelings or being happy or, or maybe the judging part or maybe the very last part and that you've thought, I really haven't opened myself up to him the way I should. I want to ask this question because every time we get together, I'm very aware that there might be somebody here who today could be your day, that you want to start a relationship with God that would last forever. Anybody like that today? You want to open yourself and you just want to say, look, I want to surrender to him and I want him to be in charge of my life instead of me. Anybody like that at all? You'd raise your hand and we could pray with you. I see that hand. I appreciate that honesty. Anybody else? I see that hand too. Thank you. Let's do this together. Can we just pray with these who've raised their hands? I'm going to ask everybody who's raised their hand. We're just going to repeat a simple prayer after me. And this prayer is, it's simple in the fact that we just acknowledge that we have done things that are wrong. We're sorry for them. And we want his, his forgiveness to be applied to our life. That's it. But I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this together so that all of us can pray this in unison. Would you just repeat after me, everybody, but especially those who raised their hands this morning. Father God, I'm sorry for the things I've done that were wrong. I want you in my life. I want that forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. Make me new. Let me live for you instead of me. Amen. If you would just keep your eyes closed for another minute. I know there are people in the room who maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. But it's easy to get pulled into some of these ideas. Or maybe you, there are people in your life who so desperately need to hear about Jesus and, and you just don't know what to say. I just want to pray for you for a minute. Would you all stand with me? And I'd like to invite our, those who are here to pray with people. We have our staff and board and their spouses and the prayer team, the official prayer team. If you would come down and we want to spend some time in prayer with you if, if you need prayer for anything. I've already prayed for one person for healing in the lobby today. But maybe you're here and you physically, you need special prayer. Please come down. We'll pray for you. Maybe for you, it's, it's uh, you've been seeking more of God and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that you, you want more of him. Please come down. We'll pray for you for that. We want to pray with whoever it is who needs prayer for anything. So let's do this. And if, if you were one of the ones that raised your hand, we certainly want to pray with you for that too. But let me pray over the rest of you. And if you need prayer for any of those things, please come down right now. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful, grateful, grateful. You are such a good God. And you are a God who transcends all of our knowledge and abilities. And the very idea that you created us for relationship overwhelms me. I pray, God, for each and every one in this room, for those who have raised their hand for salvation, but then the others, every one of us, God, who know that we need more of you. We need you to change not only our feelings, but we need 
you to define happiness for us. God, I pray that you would help us to be open to your judgment and those of good Christian brothers and sisters. And God, we need more of a relationship with you. I want to be pursuing you every single day, just like these in this room do. And I pray, God, as we open your word tonight, tomorrow, that it would come alive in a new way, that it would be so alive as we're reading, we could just hear your voice in the words. I pray, God, as we read your word, that it would show us things that we need to change in our life, that it would remind us of the good things you have done, that it would create gratitude in us that is overwhelming. Father, I pray for for those of us in this room as we pray and, and call on your name, that it would be as if we're having a conversation with a friend who dearly knows us and dearly loves us. And that, God, you would speak to us. It would be a conversation and not just a monologue. That you would speak to us in ways that are beyond. You would give us impressions and and thoughts that we didn't have coming from our own self. God, I pray for every encounter we have through the rest of this day, whether it be with family who may be here visiting for the holiday or maybe a clerk in a store or somebody that we meet on the job or at school. God, that you would speak through us in a way that that you would help us to plant seeds in their life that would draw them into a closer relationship with you. God, I pray that you would drop thoughts in, heart, in our hearts and minds that would give us insight into their lives that we could pray for and that we could hold them up to you. God, we can thank you for all that you do. and We give you praise for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you as you encounter this world this week. Be a light in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you today.